Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Even in just the first chapter, the whole point of the book is to talk about uh, motivation and how to motivate yourself or even larger groups of people to make change that sticks. Welcome to Compliance Into the Weeds. In this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, Matt and I take a look at a book he's reading called Get It Done, which has pointers on setting motivational and aspirational behavioral goals inside of corporations. It has a lot of implications for your compliance training and messaging. You take a look at it from those angles and also explore how you can incorporate such motivational tactics into your internal controls. I know you will find it very useful. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Today, we're going to take up some topics suggested by a blog post that Matt posted last week entitled Pointers on Setting Compliance Goals, based upon a book which he, uh, I'm not sure if you're still reading it, but you were. So, Matt, you want to take it from there? Yeah, sure. Thank you, Tom. So uh, this is a book called Get It Done by a business professor from, I believe, is originally from Israel, I think now teaches somewhere in the United States called Ayelet Fishbach. And Ms. Fishbach has written a very good book, which, Tom, I will admit I have not yet finished. But even in just the first chapter, the whole point of the book is to talk about uh, motivation and how to motivate yourself or even larger groups of people to make change that sticks. Uh, I think Ms. Fishbach was starting with the idea of New Year's resolutions, which she does talk about a bit in the book. We all make them at the beginning of the new year. They sound great. And then the vast majority of us never actually stick with it. Well, why is that? And how can you think about how to motivate yourself to make lasting change? That's the whole point of the book. Um, like I said, I haven't finished all of it, but even just in that very first chapter, Tom, she talks a bit about how you actually would set a goal and how you would frame a goal in your head to sort of drive your own motivation and make it stick in your daily behaviors a bit more. Uh, I think you could scale up a lot of those principles about goal setting to teams, enterprises, groups of people. And we should remember that is what ethics and compliance professionals are trying to do. You are trying to inspire people to achieve a certain standard of conduct, uh, to perhaps change the way the company is performing and you want it to be more ethical. There's a lot about how you would motivate people to do the right thing that I think a lot of what Ms. Fishbach talks about in her book are very relevant to what compliance officers do. So that's why the whole book jumped out at me and why I wound up writing a post just on that very first chapter about how you can identify a good goal, how you can frame it in your own head, how you can inspire people by picking the right sort of goal. So Matt, actually, this brought up a very much larger picture for me 
uh, starting with compliance training, but really running to lots of different uh, other areas in compliance. So let me start with the training. Mm-hmm. I started in this field in 20, uh, 2007, and the training was very rules-oriented. Thou shalt, thou shalt not, mainly thou shalt nots, um, which was based on uh, lawyers writing compliance training for business people. And I can even remember in the first training I attended, the business guy saying, look, just tell me the rules. So I, all I need to know is the rules. Tell me what I can't do, and I'll follow that. A very American approach. As I started to study training more, I discovered that <clears throat> Europeans tended to have values-based training, while in America we had rules-based training. And uh, once again, the difference being in America, the compliance training was largely written by lawyers uh, for business people. And in Europe, they tended to have a little bit wider remit of those uh, writing the uh, values-based compliance training. But also then from there, Matt, it really uh, I started thinking about how Compliance training itself has evolved in in the U.S. And obviously, as uh, we've moved past lawyers writing policies and procedures for lawyers and lawyers writing training, the Department of Justice has also evolved in its thinking about compliance training. They moved to targeted training. They moved to effective training. In the last iteration of the evaluation of corporate compliance programs, they talked about short focused training, but they've never really talked about the point you raised in your blog post uh, that's discussed in the book, which is this difference between uh, aspirational or uh, you even use chore-based, so I'm going to say aspirational or chore, but perhaps values or rules. And this seems to me to be the, the really the next step for training in uh, the United States. I think many of the people that we both uh, look to uh, as kind of leaders in training, um, the former broadcat uh, uh, with Ricardo and Ronnie Feldman and some of the others that attend uh, various events, really talk about storytelling and doing things that people will remember. But we haven't really focused on this dichotomy of aspirational versus chore. So I really saw this and your blog post and this book is really uh, a way to to maybe think about uh, the behavioral psychology portion of that. And there was even a blog post today in the FCPA blog by Vera Sherpanova that talked about behavioral psychology uh, in play for compliance programs. So it, it really seems to me, Matt, this this speaks about the evolution of compliance training and really how we are finally bringing in many disparate areas uh, that were not a part of early compliance, at least in the first decade of this year, but now we have seen evolve going forward. Well, I think there's a lot to that. And what Ms. Fishbach does really, I think, is relevant to how you can not so much think about training, although that's part of what you how you could apply her work, but a lot of it would be about sort of executive messaging or the control environment that senior leaders want to put forth in their company. I often think of it, and I've probably said this before on this podcast, about the senior executives are the ones in charge of pointing to that far point on the horizon and saying, that's where we're going to go. And that's the goal. And that is something that compliance officers would need to think about because you are trying to pick out those ethical behavior points on the horizon and say, 
That's what we want. Now, back to Ayelet Fishbach, what she is saying is that people often confuse the goal itself with the means you use to achieve the goal. So the goal is the aspirational thing. And then the means to achieve it, those are the chores and the mechanics of how you're going to achieve it. I'll give you a, first an example from sort of regular everyday life. Nobody says my goal for 2022 is that I'm going to run 4.5 miles a day, three days a week for the month of January. Then I'm going to scale it up to six miles. Then I'm going to go for a long run every Sunday that goes up to eight or nine miles by second quarter. And finally, I'm going to run 26.2 miles by the fall. Nobody does that. What we say in January is I'm going to run a marathon this year. That's my goal. And the mechanics of how you do it are probably just what I babbled on about 30 seconds ago there. But it's an important point that social research has borne out is that people like to be inspired by what the goal is. And they say, this is the kind of thing that I'm going to try to achieve and declare victory right there. That's it. That's all you want with this goal is to be able to say that's the end state. That is the ideal achievement that we want. Then after that, you can get into the guts of how are we actually going to do it? But Tom, to your point about how compliance training was drafted by lawyers and people who were saying, just tell me what I can't do. Well, we could do that for the next five hours. We could talk about all the don'ts that you shouldn't be doing for an ethics and compliance program, and it would be a list of chores. And we'd never actually get around to the bigger point of why do you want to do this? Well, because competing against your competitors and vanquishing them on the merits without result resorting to cheating, you know, to be able to achieve business success through honest dealing and better performance. That's the aspirational goal. You know, we will run a clean business and never cheat to close a sale. That is aspirational. The chore version of it is do not offer to pay bribes to foreign government officials, except under certain circumstances such as extortion or threats of loss of life or anything like that. Nobody wants to hear that kind of stuff. It is important in the training, but it is not important in the aspirational. It is not important in articulating what is the why are we trying to do this? To what end do we having a corporate ethics and compliance program? Well, it's so that we can be the best simply because we are the best, not because we cheat our way to being the best. And frankly, I think a lot of sales executives would probably say, yeah, man, I like that because that validates their self-worth. And as I said in my post, let's be honest, a lot of salespeople have more self-worth than like, you know, an iceberg. It's huge. And to be able to satisfy that by saying you are the best because you're the best, not because you slipped a 10 grand fixed contract to somebody's brother-in-law in the ministry of whatever, not because you cheated, but because you were the best at closing the sale. I think a lot of sales executives would be on board with that approach to ethics and compliance. But if you hand them a policy manual that's 48 pages long of a bunch of don'ts, I don't think they're going to, I don't think it's going to stick with them. And that's, that's the difference, and that's that she's trying to call out about what the point of these goals should be and how you frame them. We're going to take a quick word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with more Compliance Into the Weeds.
So, Matt, in addition to the difference, uh, I think I would add that if you have a rules-based approach, you can never have enough rules. And you can have a 48-page thou shalt nots list, and you're never going to cover every situation uh, because you have your sales team so focused on the don'ts uh, that they can't react when they have a new situation. Whereas if you have the aspirational, uh, then you can apply some of the messaging that you've received to the situation. Well, let me pick up on a couple of points uh, you raised. Uh, number one, messaging. I certainly understand the aspirational and messaging, but you also talked about it in the control environment. And I find that an incredibly intriguing point. How can we begin to think about uh, the control environment and aspirational controls that are both uh, effective controls uh, and can be documented going forward. Have you been able to give any thought to something like that, or should we maybe explore that on a separate pod? Well, a little bit about the the second part there. We could explore it further in another day. But I think that you know a lot of what she is talking about and that I would think are in the control environment is more how do senior managers frame in a positive way what the corporate culture should be and the expectations for good conduct. Um, as I said, you know, we are going to run a clean business that does not need to cheat in order to close a sale. That is a good, affirmative, positive way to put it. And it's the sort of thing you could put into a code of conduct. It's the sort of thing you could put in a mission statement that you put in a, one of those lucite plaques that hang in the, the, the front office whenever we ever actually actually get back to having front offices with people in them. But that'll happen sooner or later. Um, you know, to your point about how would you document this? Well, you can put it in the code. You can have executive speeches where people talk about this. You could have those kind of uplifting training videos where we say, this is who we are, as opposed to this is what we will do to maintain full compliance with all applicable laws, regulations, and other relevant rules. And like, People get that that is important, uh, but I don't think that they it really sticks with them. And, you know, I was thinking about how businesses might try to encapsulate all of this and how to document it, frankly. You know, you could certainly have a code of conduct that keeps it very focused, very simple, and very short and positively framed. Um, I can think of Boeing, for example. Its code of conduct is, I believe, about one page long. Now, it is a highly regulated business. I am sure that its policy manual and the standard operating procedures for Boeing and all of what it does for regulatory compliance, that's probably a book that's four inches thick. But the code is much more simple. Now, I am aware of the certain cognitive dissonance I have in picking Boeing as a good example when you consider some of the other problems Boeing had around safety with its uh, Max jet and the disasters there. But I do still like the idea of simpler, more positive code of conduct that is, it's harder to misconstrue what the goals are. The goals should not be so abstract that nobody gets them. But they shouldn't be so specific that they come across as chores. Um, so, you know, some of them would be like I, what I'd said before there. You know, we will run a clean business that wins deals on the merits, not by cheating. We will not harass coworkers and colleagues. We will keep confidential data as safe as possible. Now, I didn't spell out all the cybersecurity measures we're going to take to keep data as safe and secure as possible. I didn't mention any regulations like HIPAA or DFARS or the GDPR or anything else, but people like the idea of 
we're going to take care of important things, which is just what I said. We will keep confidential data as safe as possible. They like the idea that they can play and win fairly. They like the idea that they are collegial with other people in the workplace and not creeps. There's a whole lot that goes into how we achieve those goals. But again, as Ms. Fishbach says, keep the goal separate from the means you use to achieve the goal. But the, um, as you move forward through this book, I hope if you have some additional insights, you might uh, either uh, blog about them or perhaps we could have another podcast. But I was wondering if you uh, can maybe end up with uh, some of the thoughts that uh, you don't have in this blog post about perhaps some other insights you got from Get It Done so far. Well, you know, one point that she also raised that I think is relevant here is she said that people will invest less energy, less mental energy in all of the mechanics of how you achieve your goal. And really, a lot of it is the intrinsic value you perceive in having the goal. And she gave a great example of this that resonates with me and I suspect many listeners. What she means there, let's say your goal is to go out and have a great dinner at a fancy restaurant and you sit down and you're going to have an expensive cocktail that costs $15, which you know, that's a reasonable price for a fancy drink at a fancy restaurant at a big city like Boston and Houston and New York. So I don't blink twice at a $15 cocktail when I'm out having a fancy dinner. But the valet parking for that restaurant might also cost $15. That's not part of my goal. My goal is to have a nice dinner, not to have easy parking. So if it's 15 bucks for parking, I'm going to say, son of a bitch, and I will drive nine blocks around the city to be able to find cheaper metered parking or free parking rather than pay the $15. But I won't blink twice at $15 for that drink because the drink is part of the goal. And that gets back to her point that people invest less in the mechanics of achieving the goal. They're much more mentally invested in what the goal is. That's what you have to get at. You have to think about what is the intrinsic appeal of it. Um, She talks a lot about fitness goals in this book because a lot of people like the idea of being healthy, but they don't sit around thinking, you know, I'm going to be so psyched to have this great marathon training program. I have trained for marathons before. It sucks. And I never even finished and I've never run a marathon because the training is such a drag. But I love the idea of running a marathon. And I'm even thinking about it again this year. I'm not ever going to do it. And Tom, you can call me back up in December and I'll confirm that I did not do that goal. But I like the idea of the goal. And, you know, that's what she talks about the most. And I would really encourage ethics and compliance officers to think more about what are the ethical values that resonate with our workforce. Uh, You know, it's something that one compliance officer who I know, Steve Koslow, he said this many, many years ago. And uh, Steve said, if I have only one hour to worry about either ethics or compliance for my business. I will always worry about the ethics because if I can get the ethics part right with my workforce, the compliance stuff gets a whole lot easier to solve. And that's correct. But it also is a, kind of points to what Ayalet Fishbach is saying here and that it's all about finding the right way to resonate with what your workforce believes and to lead them, to inspire them to that better behavior. And they'll want to do it. After that, telling them, here's all the stuff that we have to do, and you plop a two-inch thick policy manual in front of them, that gets better. So 
I mean, Tom, as I'll go through the rest of the book, maybe in a couple of more weeks, we can have a more in-depth book review. But I think it's an excellent book from what I've read so far. It's definitely worth compliance officers' consideration for space on your shelf. And, um, and that's it. Well, Matt, lots to think about from what you've digested so far. I greatly look forward to hearing uh, your further thoughts as you get uh, further through the book. And I definitely want to put on both of our radars uh, using the techniques, strategies, um, and tactics you've already come across in this book for potentially looking at control environments. So uh, I guess I say uh, let's revisit this book. All right, Tom. Thank you. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed this special two-part series where Matt and I look at some of the issues and trends we're going to be following in 2022. If you did not listen to episode one, I would urge you to go back and check out episode 257 to Compliance into the Weeds. I've linked to Matt's post on our show notes, so check that out for more information. If you have ever wanted to start your own podcast, 2022 is the year for you. So why don't you come on and join the Compliance Podcast Network? We have plenty of room for anything related to compliance. If you're interested, give me a shout, Tom Fox at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Hope you'll join Matt and I again next week for another issue of Compliance Into the Weeds. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.